Welcome to Happy Hunters. We're your hosts, Jonathan and Molly. Today's interview is with Marion Bach, who has had not one, but three successful careers. By listening to her gut, walking through open doors, and asking for help, Marion has created a life filled with so many people and experiences that bring her joy. Even if there's an uncomfortable situation, I want to be able to feel that I am stable. And that's what inner peace is more like to me. We just want to take a moment to tell you how much we love one of our sponsors, Nature's Head Composting Toilet. When we renovated the bathroom in the camper, we got rid of our old flush toilet and made the switch to a composting one and could not be happier. I did have some reservations at first, but Nature's Head has thought of everything. With minimal parts and easy assembly, installation was super simple, and when it comes to emptying, it is a breeze. Plus, there is no odor. With all the time we spend outside, we know that each small action makes a big difference. So my favorite part of using a composting toilet is how it's waterless. Did you know that the average toilet uses three and a half gallons of water per flush? Just think of how many gallons a day that is. Our composting toilet helps us conserve water and it's so easy to use. We actually purchased our toilet months before Nature's Head Composting Toilet was even a sponsor. For more information, go to natureshead.net. That's natureshead.net to get yours today. Today's episode features Marion Bach. Marion receives her strength and inner peace from relationships with others and both giving and receiving help. Marion spent years in therapy building her self-esteem, which ultimately empowered her to take career risks and to go with the flow. She's got tons of brilliant wisdom about owning mistakes and accepting life on life's terms. Hi, Marion. Welcome. We invited you here to Happy Hunters because we're inspired by your strength and unwavering commitment to giving and helping others. Whether that's as a teacher, a chef, or mental health counselor, you have always found a way to inspire and support others. I am in awe of your ability to consistently show up for your friends, family, and clients, your strength in asking for help, and your persistence in finding your inner peace. We're so excited you're on the podcast today. Welcome. Thank you. Your career path, teacher, cookshop manager, caterer, and mental health therapist are pretty distinct. What drew you to each of these careers? My father actually is the one who pushed me into being a teacher. His reasoning was pretty practical. It's a good profession. Teachers are always needed. You get the summers off. (laughs) My father, being a pretty traditional man, wanted me to go to college. He had never had the opportunity, but also wanted me to have a career that he felt would be successful for me. I'm very, very fortunate that teaching definitely was a good plan. I became ill. I have Crohn's disease, and that happened while I was teaching. And I found that I was teaching anywhere from kindergarten through third grade, was becoming a little taxing for me, even though I was fairly young in age. I was in my 30s. 
I loved to cook. And there was a woman who had opened a cook shop in Miami Beach, and she was advertising for somebody to manage. And so I interviewed and got the job I had thought would be a little less taxing than the teaching, but I ended up running her cooking school and doing all the teaching of the classes. And once again, I, I was teaching. On the side, I was also doing some catering. It was the kind of catering where I just dropped off the food. I didn't do full service because I was trying to find a balance between having a family. My son had been born already, and of course, I had my husband. Catering can be a pretty grueling job, especially on the weekends for holidays. So I figured out a way to make it more flexible for myself, and it worked pretty well. It was not tremendously lucrative. But I did that for a number of years, and then my son was getting ready to go to college, and I decided that I wanted to do something that was a little more intense and decided that I would go back to school. I didn't really know who or what. I had some different people in my family that were having some different struggles with food addiction in particular. There was an introductory class about taking a certificate for becoming a counselor and I went to the class, and it felt in my gut that this is something I should pursue. I went back to school, and I ended up taking the certificate course and passing it. As time went on, I became actually an intern at Transitions, and I've been there ever since. In the meantime, I went back to school for a master's, and I'm now a licensed mental health counselor. Wow. When you tell it like that, it definitely makes sense than just when you hear it as three distinct careers. You can kind mm-hmm. of see that thread of consistency of teaching. Mm-hmm. And you kind of make it sound easy that you had a feeling it was taxing on you to teach. So you started looking into food and you wanted to learn something. So you started taking classes. I mean, a lot of people are unhappy with their jobs or they want to quit for some reason or they want to try and learn new things and they don't. How did you muster the strength and courage to to try new things, to go back to school, to make those kinds of shifts? Doing some work on my inner self. I went into therapy after having a very catastrophic problem with one of my parents. I went into therapy and it was quite intensive therapy. It was not the kind of therapy I do today, but it seemed to help at that particular time. And it was twice a week and I went for four years and It uh, really changed the person that I was. It gave me more self-esteem and more ability to think to myself that I could really go after anything that I might want to because I I did not feel that way in, you know, my younger years. There was a, a lot of fear about things. I also have to say that I was very supported by my husband who was not always thrilled that I was so busy all the time because he liked to have me around. <laughs> he, he understood in some way. I want to use the word allowed. It's not really the word I'm looking for because I don't believe that spouses allow or you know shuts down what the other person wants. But he was at least understanding enough to know that this is something I felt that I needed to follow through on. In the beginning, when I went back for the counseling, I talked to some of my professors and one in particular became like a mentor of mine and 
I remember sitting with her at one point and saying to her, you know, I have not worked full-time for a really long time. I've been part-time having my own business and part-time working for somebody else. And counseling seems like it's something that's going to be very intense. And, you know, really asked her if she felt, knowing me the way she did, that I would be able to do it. I did reach out to different people and, and ask for help and ask for their opinion. It helped to shore me up a little bit. And then I just figured, what the hell? I'll go and see what it was all about. I had a friend who was working at Transitions, and he was in class with me, and he recommended that I see about being an unpaid intern. (laughs) And once again, I had my husband's support. I went for it, and it seems to have worked out, luckily. Yeah, how many years have you been there now? I just started my 23rd year. Wow, and you're not an unpaid intern anymore there. (laughs) No, not anymore. I'm an underpaid program director. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I am a teacher, so in, in my mind, when I think about teaching, I think about giving help, but also a big part of your story is receiving help. You just talked about how you went to a professor and talked it through and you've got support from your family. But a lot of people look at asking for help as a weakness and it makes it really challenging. Has it always been easy for you to ask for help? No, I don't think so because, as I mentioned, the low self-esteem part of my early life made it kind of difficult because asking for help was saying to somebody that I wasn't able to do it by myself. But as I got older, I really found out that life is not meant to be lived by ourselves because to live isolatively for me was really not working out. So I blossomed as I got older and started talking more and sharing more. And I found that it actually helped me feel better rather than made me feel weak. You said to us, if you're not the same person you were, you've made changes, you've adapted to experiences, and you've been to therapy more than once. Yes. How do you know when it's time to go to therapy or when it's time to talk to a friend? How do you know when you need to pursue a different method of healing? I've become very self-observant over the years, and I think I have a bit of a pattern, which is that my anxiety starts to build when there's something going on that I'm unsure of or unclear of or I haven't experienced before. After a couple of days of really being uncomfortable and trying to talk to the universe or my higher power that I call God or finding some way to just handle it myself, if nothing has made me feel less anxious, that's when I know it's time to get out of myself and talk to somebody else. You prefer to think of happiness as inner peace. As we've been working on the Happy Hunters podcast, a lot of people actually take issue with the word happiness. So Mm -hmm. why do you prefer calling it inner peace? And do you think happiness is the same as inner peace? When you asked me this, I I looked up, because I am a teacher, I looked (laughs) up the definition and I still felt after I read that, that inner peace for me was more of the way to explain it. I think that for me anyway, happiness has a lot of things attached to it. Whatever's going on in my life, I am hoping and praying and trying to handle in a way that is peaceful for me, even when it is something very difficult. Happiness just doesn't attach itself to me wanting to feel comfortable inside and 
even if there's an uncomfortable situation, I want to be able to feel that I am stable. And that's what inner peace is more like to me. I'm sitting here right now and I'm looking at flowers on my table and that makes me happy, but it's not sustainable and it doesn't really make me feel peaceful. It makes my eyes look at something pretty, but it doesn't change anything inside of me. And that's kind of what I look for. Now I want to change the name of the podcast to like Peace Protectors. (laughs) I like that idea of peace being this comfort and this feeling you can have throughout difficult situations. So maybe Mm -hmm. you can't experience happiness and anger at the same time, but do you think you can experience anger and frustration and peace at the same time? I think that is possible. For me, it's not necessarily at the same exact moment. I'm certainly over the years become pretty aware of my emotions, especially in the past years since I've been working with people. I make them so aware that I feel it's become something really important and big for me as well. An emotion is just what it is. And I have to pay attention to what that emotion is going to cause me to do because the behavior is more of what I'm concerned about rather than having the emotion. And I think that if I feel anger or frustration or any of those you know, more negative things, if I deal with them in what for me is either an appropriate way or if it's not appropriate, I go back and make amends afterwards <laughs> for the inappropriateness which I had to do last week in a situation. So I was very much in touch with all of that. I think that's what keeps me on the peaceful track. There's such a difference in how I handle situations as I have grown up, shall we say, than I did as a younger person. And it really helped my marriage because, you know, I dealt with situations with my husband totally differently and he was smart enough to make some changes himself. It certainly helped me as I was bringing up a child who has now grown into an adult and brings me just a lot of joy and peace from the relationship that we have developed. You know, I have to say again that I just was not always like this. It was a journey for me. I'm curious about how you went from low self-esteem and not being able to ask for help to being in a position where your relationship is growing through behavior, conversations, and amends, and all these things. I think that I have had some tragedies in my life. That includes losing some people at inopportune times. Not that there's opportune Mm -hmm. times for that, but people that I was extremely close with meant a lot to me. I think I felt that if I didn't go through them in a certain way and I allowed myself to just act, in the depression that I was feeling in the sadness, that I wasn't going to be able to continue to be the example that I like to be with people, as well as the help that I like to be with people. And that doesn't mean that I ignored what was going on for me, but it helped me to build inner strength to get through these these situations and still be standing. I also believe that to build self-esteem, you have to do esteemable things. And as I did more and more of those and accomplished more things in my life, and they didn't have to be big things. They were things that I could notice and get enjoyment from. 
that I was able to feel so much better about myself. And I think that was the huge crux of things. I remember when I was much younger that it was very, very difficult for me to take responsibility if I made a mistake because I was very perfectionistic and I felt that if I made a mistake that the rest of me was just caca. One of the biggest things I like doing is if I make a mistake, just going to somebody and say, you know, I, I screwed up. I really made a mistake. I just wanted to come and tell you. And then it's over with. I don't carry it with me. I'm not ruminating about it. I'm not beating myself up. So you have said that happiness or inner peace is accessible to those that accept life on life's terms. What does that mean? And is that possible for all people? I think that life on life's terms basically means that we get up every day and we're not really sure what the day is going to bring. There's only so much we have control or power over and the rest of it is the universe or life. Life on life's terms for me is being able to get through whatever that day brings me. There have been days in my life that have been really, really terrible for different reasons and there have been certainly days in my life that have been some of the best days that I can imagine being seen. I think that if people feel like whatever is going to come along, they will be able to handle or ask for help to handle, that people have the ability to get through it. Now, I'm not talking about people who have mental health issues or things like that. Those people can obviously get through things too, but may need a different kind of help. I believe that if people want to find happiness or inner peace, they do have the ability to do that. I don't believe everybody wants to do that. I mean, I agree. I think people choose that. Yes, I agree with that. Victim mentality as well, or to stay stuck. Correct. So do you think that everything is get overable can we heal from anything and and if so (sighs) how (laughs) (laughs) boy if i only had that magic wand (laughs) i don't know if get overable would be the words that i would use as time goes on whatever life brings there are different stages of getting through situations So I don't necessarily think it's get overable, but I think you can deal with things, feel the feelings, and still be able to get up every morning and show up and do what you have to do, which doesn't negate what's going on for you, but it does give you the opportunity to continue in your own path. How do you practice acceptance when those hard things come up, when you've got to meet life on life's terms, when it's not like a pleasant sunny day? What does Mm -hmm. that look like in your life? For me, a lot of what it's looked like, especially since this past summer, my husband died, what it has looked like is me telling myself that there are other people depending on me, that there are other people that I need to get out there and help. And even though I might be feeling like crap that day, or I might be having a really big day of missing my husband or other people, when I was a lot younger, my way of handling things was to, you know, run in the other direction. I think that I have become accepting of the fact that I need to run with the flow of things in order to be able to walk through and get as much to another side as I possibly can, break down or break through. 
when I think to myself that there are people out there that I need to show up for to help them break through, then I can't break down. You said over time you found comfort in knowing the universe has your best interests at heart, even in the worst times, like what you were just saying. How did you come to know this? One of the ways I've come to know it is to see that the amazing people in my life have really shown up for me in times of need. And it's not a large group, but it is a definite group. And I refer to them as my family, which is a combination of they started out as my friends and became my family. They really have gone far and above to make sure that I'm okay and that I am able to ask them for help without feeling like I'm imposing. I didn't really recognize it. My son pointed it out to me in a a funny way, but nevertheless, that I think some of what's happening is that, you know, you've heard the saying, what goes around comes around, that a lot of the good that I have passed out, even though I didn't do it to get anything back for it, seems to be coming back around to help me. If I could have that kind of love and attention while I'm going through one of the most difficult times of my life, I feel like whatever part of the adventure was my husband leaving this earth, the universe made sure that I was not standing still alone. It's kind of like the Beatles lyric, the love you take is equal to the love you make. Exactly. And my son pointed that out to me because I kept saying to him in the beginning of this journey after my husband died, I don't understand it. These people keep coming and helping me and whatever. And he finally, I guess, just got annoyed. And he said, you know, you're right, Mom. I have no idea why they're coming to help you because after all, you've never helped anybody in all of these years. (laughs) And it really opened my eyes to see that some of my old inner stuff of the low self-esteem was telling me that, you know, I didn't deserve all this help and I didn't deserve all these people to offer to be around me and that he really remind me of who I was today. I love how you've got people in your life that can support all different needs and that you're aware of, you know, how beautiful and special that is. I'm very fortunate. I'm very fortunate. I really am. Okay. So now the most important part of the interview, obviously, are the silly questions. Of course. Of course. (laughs) What's your favorite planet? Earth is not an acceptable answer. Um, (laughs) Mars. Really? Would you go to Mars? Yes. I've seen the movie The Martian. Yeah. (laughs) Many, 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 many many times. So Mars. That's good. (laughs) I like it. Two more. Puppy kisses. For them or against them? Depends on the size of the puppy. (laughs) (laughs) I guess it depends on the size of the puppy's tongue. Are you preferring like a like a little teeny little or like a? Well, they don't have to be little or teeny. They can be like medium. But if if there's like a a puppy that's going to grow into a huge dog, so he starts out as a pretty big dog with a pretty big tongue. (laughs) I'm not totally into that. (laughs) Plus, puppy kisses are really just like little bites. They just have the Mm -hmm. sharpest puppy teeth. And so a kiss is just really an opportunity for them to eat you. Very last question. Would you rather wear a fanny pack or a backpack? 
a fanny pack. Great. Me, that was the right answer. Not, they're not supposed to have right answers, but that was the right answer. You're very much back in style. I know. I have two. Do you not have one yet? Oh, I do have one. Oh, good. Okay. I, okay. I have uh, one, and I've given some to friends, of course. Of course. <laughs> That's good. That's a really good gift. Thank you so much for joining me on Happy Hunters. Your ability to find joy and peace in every situation, no matter anything, is beyond inspiring to me. And I'm, I'm so grateful that you joined us. Well, I appreciate the opportunity. And I hope that when somebody listens to this, they're able to think, well, if she could do it, I could do it. Marion's experience is so empowering. Every time I talk with her, I leave feeling like I can do anything. I have learned over the years, too, that I need to ask for help and then allow myself to accept the support. What does your support system look like? Who do you ask for help? Do you give people the opportunity to show up for you, too? Head over to Happy Hunters podcast discussion group on Facebook to share your experiences, connect with others, inspire, and empower. Thank you so much for listening today. We hope you enjoyed this episode and have found a little bit of inspiration to accompany you on your happiness journey. We are a brand new podcast and could use your help so others can find the show. Please subscribe, leave a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you are listening. Tune in for new episodes every Tuesday. You can also support the show by supporting our sponsors. If you know a happy someone who we should interview, head to iconoclasticwellness.com slash happyhunters to nominate them or yourself. Find us over on Instagram at Molly and Jonathan and subscribe to our YouTube channel, Our Tiny Mess, to stay up to date on our RV adventures. And we'll see you next week.